Good morning. I just had one of those moments. One of my big fears is that I'm going to be on when I'm singing. So I just want to go ahead and apologize to the tech team. I'd already turned it on and I got into the song. I just love that song. Paul has sang that, led a worship at annual conference in June, and I was introduced to that song and I just I love it. Um, Glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. We are talking about being surprised by God. And I have to admit that part of me feels guilty that I get surprised by God because it's God. I mean, God's supposed to do things that blow us away. But yet time and time again, I get surprised by God's love, by his generosity, by his vision. And today we're going to talk about how God surprises us by calling us. And I want you to hear this. I'm going to share my story, my call story, interwoven into what we share today. But you need to hear this. This is not an exclusive experience for only those of us who are called into full-time ministry or into being a pastor or a missionary. Each and every one of us are called by God, not just once, but throughout our lives to continue to take those next steps of following God. Our scripture reading for today is found in 1 Timothy. Paul wrote 1 Timothy to all people. It's hard to believe he wrote it to Timothy, actually. I'm sorry. That was, um, some of y'all got it. Some of y'all are just waking up. That's all right. You'll get there. Um, But Paul, this incredible missionary who started churches in many locations, but one of of them was at the church of Ephesus, and he spent some time there. He left, and he sent Timothy back. And when he sent Timothy back, he sent him with instructions, including this um, that we're going to read today out of 1 Timothy. What I want you to think about as I read is how this relates to how God calls us. This is 1 Timothy 1, starting with verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would would believe in him, and receive eternal life. Now that the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, you know what needs to be said. You know what needs to be heard. Speak through me to me and despite of me. In your holy name, amen. So there's this saying that I have on, um, I know I have it on coffee mugs. I know I have a t-shirt. I know I have framed things that say this. It says, the mountains are calling and I must go. Good. Some of y'all are like, "Uh, it's the beach and I must go, right? I mean, we have those places, those things that draw us. The truth is that quote is only partial quote of 
um, the full quote. The full quote is, the mountains are calling and I must go, and I will work while I can, studying incessantly. It was a letter that John Muir wrote to his sister. John Muir, this incredible naturalist in the 1800s, significant in establishment of the Yosemite National Park and the national park system in general. And he was speaking about how the mountains call him. And I'm going to confess, the mountains call me. I was born and raised in a small town outside of Asheville, North Carolina. To say I'm from Asheville is to limit the story. I am from Weaverville, the metropolis. Um, And if you've been to Asheville, I know it's beautiful. You love downtown. In the 70s and 80s, we only went downtown twice a year. Once for the Thanksgiving parade and the other time was to tops for shoes. If you know Asheville, you know that. But those mountains call me. They're a part of who I am. A calling is this yearning, this tug, this pull. And the mountains, they call me and I feel like I must go. Calling is not limited to John Muir or to me. Each and every one of us are called. We see the concept of calling in Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. God came to Abram and told him, you need to leave your your dad's household, you need to leave the land, and you need to go to this land, I'm preparing you. And Abram did it. Moses, you may have heard the story of the burning bush. God called Moses from a burning bush. He said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Samuel was called by the Lord. And how did he respond? Here I am. The number of times I have read in the Gospels about Jesus calling the disciples from where they were from their jobs, from the places where they were. And Jesus called them and they immediately followed him. What is fascinating to me is I know those scriptures, but it was just in the past couple of weeks that I noticed that it literally says Jesus called. Paul tells us in Galatians that he's not called by man. He's not called by his head knowledge that he is called through Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us have a call on our lives by God. It isn't a one-time gig. It is time and time again that God calls us. In that small town outside of Asheville, I attended high school. And in my freshman year in high school, I was in my social studies class. And it was in a single wide trailer. Wide enough that you could get two desks a walkway between the desk and what? The chalkboard. Do y'all remember those? They existed. Um, But it was in that single wide trailer that I got this, I, I don't remember what time of year it was. I just remember sensing this draw that I wanted to be a teacher. I just wanted to be a teacher. It's what I wanted to do. And I spent the next years in preparation and working with kids and going to college and then 22 years in an education career that I loved, that I loved getting to be a part of, was called into education. But it was just part of the call. Where'd your call start? Where'd you begin? 
You see, a call, when God calls us, it is a summons. It is a call to come, to follow him. And he calls each and every one of us. First Timothy talks about, Paul talks in First Timothy, Timothy. There are these two words that just resonated so much when I read it. Paul says, even though, even though he was the worst of the worst, the worst sinner of them all, God called them. You see, we have our even those in our lives, those things in our lives where we go, God couldn't be calling me. Why would he call me? Doesn't he know me? Doesn't he know I'm not smart enough? Doesn't he know where I'm from? Doesn't he know my story? Why would he call me of all people? What are your even those? Those things that keep you from taking those next steps. One of my significant even those was I found myself in the depths of alcoholism in my mid-20s. I was dying a slow, painful death, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I was raised in the church. Mom and dad did their job. They did a good job. They raised me to go to church. I learned that I needed to be at church whenever I could. I learned that I was to give. I learned to serve. They, they laid that foundation for me. When I look back, though, that was head knowledge. I had, not, I had head knowledge. I could talk about God. I could talk about Jesus. Hadn't moved to my heart yet. John Wesley talks about that when he talks about his experience at Aldersgate, how he became strangely warm as his knowledge of God went from his head to his heart. I had that. And then I started drinking, and I couldn't stop. I tried. And some days I tried, I didn't try. But it, it wore me out. And I didn't go to church. Mom would say, Brooke, you need to go to church. And I'd say, I'm not one of those hypocrites. I'm not one of those hypocrites. Like, I know what I'm doing is not good. And I got to get good to go to church. And I know I'm not good. So I've got to get fixed up before I can go to church. And I stayed away. And then I found myself in the recovery community in my mid-20s, and I never dreamed that that would play such a significant role. The 12 steps in the recovery community taught me about the God who I had head knowledge. It gave me the tools to apply it every day of my life. After three years sober, I ended up back in church. And a friend from work invited me. She didn't harass me. She just graciously invited me. And I wanted to go back to church. And I met her in January of 1998 down at Cokesbury is where she went. And we walk into the sanctuary. And I see this guy I know from the recovery community. And my thought was, oh my gosh, they let him in there. And if they let him in there, I may have a shot at this. And it wasn't because he'd done anything awful, anything worse than I had ever done. It was that I couldn't believe that a church let people like me in. See, I thought I had to get fixed up. But that church opened the doors, and they just didn't open the doors. They let me serve. They let me participate. I started getting involved with the youth. I taught Sunday school. I chaperoned trips. I got to go to retreats and choir tours and resurrection. 
I was on leadership teams. I even participated in some ministries that we launched and didn't make it a year, and some are still happening at Cokesbury to this day. But you see, our, even those are not stumbling blocks. They are stepping stones on our journey. They are part of the journey that we use as stepping stones. And one of my even those that I thought I wasn't good enough, I wasn't fixed up enough to be able to follow God's call, and it wasn't how it works. That's part of the journey. At, as I, in the early 2000, I went to resurrection with um, the kid, as I said, with the youth. And they have this time where they say, kids and students, if you feel a call into ministry, come meet us at this area. And as an adult, I went because I felt like God was calling me. I met with a mentor and he never followed up with me and I never followed up with him. And I don't say that as a criticism. It is a reminder I wasn't ready it wasn't time yet, but I had the tug. I got to spend the next 15 years living the dream. I, I enjoyed my career. I got to teach and I got to be a high school administrator. I got married. We had a child. Life was good. And there was still this tug. I reached out to a lady who I had talked with back in the late 90s, early 2000s about going into ministry. And I met with her and I, I just told her, I was like, okay, everything's going really well. I just can't get rid of this tug. I think I really want her to say, Brooke, you get to keep everything the way you have it so tidily fixed. You're going to stay in your career and everything's just going to keep going. But it, it, that's, that's not how it has gone. She told me that following God's call is like walking through the fog. You just do the next thing in front of you. That's not just for me. That's for each and every one of us. That following God's call is like walking through the fog. We don't have every, trust me, then I never dreamed I'd be here. Thank God it's not about my plan. Thank God that all we have to do is take the next step and walk through the fog. I began the process through the United Methodist Church of discerning my call in 2014. I didn't know where we were going to end up. I just started walking through the fog, doing the next thing. In 2015, in the fall, I came to this critical moment in the process. To continue further, it was going to require me to go to seminary, and I decided I didn't think I could be an assistant principal and go to seminary. We had to, some decisions to make. And so that was a pivotal moment. I was an assistant principal at Fulton High School in, late, in mid to late December, the day before we were getting out from winter break. That morning, that Friday morning, I turned on my phone. That was back when I used to turn my phone off at night. I turned on my phone, and as we say, my phone blew up. It was the narrative of the administrative team at Fulton High School finding out that Zay Dobson had been killed the night before. Zay was a sophomore at Fulton High School. I had gotten to work with him as a freshman. He was now a sophomore on that Thursday night in December, there was a drive-by shooting in Lonsdale where Zay covered up a friend 
and he was shot and killed. It rocked us. It rocked us as a community. It went local and national and it went global. And we were just living it out, just this community that we were in. It was hard. I'll never forget that moment of silence we had on the day all the students came back. It's the one like I've never experienced. It was on that day that I went before the district committee on ministry. They were voting about whether they were going to support that I could take the next steps, which included seminary. They approved me, and all I wanted to do was go to Zay's grave. And that's what I did. I drove over, uh, the guy at the cemetery told me that there was another young man buried near Zay, that there were no markers. So on a beautiful, sunny, cool January day, I stood between two graves, both of them with straw on them. I said, Zay, we are so proud of you. My gosh, what you did. Thank you. Say what I'm getting ready to do doesn't have anything to do with you or what you represent, but I got to go do what's next. You see, I had to reconcile that I, I was leaving education and that it was okay. And standing there at that grave was part of that reconciliation for me, that God could call me to what was next. And I would never forget where I had been. You see, it's about walking through the fog, we take the next step and the next step. Following our call, it also includes spiritual mentors walking along with us. For me, those spiritual mentors have included several, lots and lots of people along the way. One spiritual mentor, part of the process is that we have to have a psychological along the way. It's pretty early in. You remember those, even those I talked about? I thought that was going to be one of those hangups that I would never make it out of the psychological part. And so I told a spiritual mentor, I said, I, I think I'm good. I don't think I'm going to go any farther. And she said, so you're going to make the decision for God. Yeah. I know. Like, those are what spiritual mentors are. Spiritual mentors aren't people that go, you know, Brooke, you're the best thing ever. Spiritual mentors speak truth into our lives. Another spiritual mentor I met at that district committee on, or on ministry, she like took me under her wing. She didn't have to. The system didn't tell her she had to. She just did it through text and emails and phone conversations and face-to-face -face conversations, she took me under her wing as I have been in the discernment process and continues to do so to this day. I met her in February of 2016 at her church, and I'd been through these presentations about um, the, being a deacon and an elder. I had done all those, but for some reason on that day, it just spoke in a way it hadn't. And she said this to me. She said, Brooke, I support whatever God is calling you to, but I'm going to ask you three questions for you to work out with God. One, is my hesitation because I'm a woman? And I'll just be honest, I think I was naive to that. And I ask forgiveness for that. 
because I am reminded weekly of the significance of a female being in this role. Not that it's me, but on behalf of our daughters and our granddaughters and our sons and our grandsons. And for those who were raised in traditions where this is not possible, it is so important. I've been called by God. Second thing she asked me, is it because I don't think I can preach? And there was truth to that as well. I mean, students kind of have to do what they tell you to do. If they don't, you can be, you're out. Um, or you can be like, you need to get off your phone. And I'll be honest, I'm, I can't do that with you all. I will be honest, there have been moments I've seen you on your phone and I've wanted to say something, but I haven't. Yeah, I was afraid I couldn't preach. But it was the third question. She said, Brooke, if you don't think you're worthy. That was true. I didn't. Who am I? Remember all those even those? Who am I? Have you ever thought that? Who are you? I'm not worthy of doing what God has called me to do. And yet, one of the things that she did time and time again is she continually reminded me that I'm God's beloved daughter and I so needed to be reminded of that. It is important that I acknowledge the role that my family has played in this journey. My husband of 20 years, just for the record, this wasn't really on our radar when we got married 20 years ago. And this is what I'll say about Clay Hartman, is Clay Hartman loves me for how God created me and how my life experiences have refined me. He's, he has never said, Brooke, this isn't really working. Brooke, this isn't what we planned on. And I want to give a shout out to our 17-year-old son. You know, he didn't choose to be a preacher's kid. But gosh, he's so graceful and so supportive in just this unassuming way. And as a mom, I'm incredibly grateful. So there are these spiritual mentors that walk with us through the process. It is really important as we think about taking the next steps in our call, as God is calling us, that we realize that it's not gonna all add up, that we're not gonna see that in seven years, I'm gonna be at Concord United Methodist Church. Like I didn't have that information. When we follow God's call, there's gonna be this God gap where we can't make it make all sense and we just gotta step in our call. You know, what for us, one of those places is I was making decent money as an educator, more than I ever dreamed possible. So I was going to reduce my income and we were going to pay sixty dollars to $70,000 for me to go to seminary. And we didn't have it all worked out. And as someone who likes a little control, you know, I just had to step. We just had to step. And God has provided in ways that we could have never orchestrated because following God's call requires taking actions of faith, those next steps. At the foundation of each and every one of our call is this. It is God's love, it is God's grace, and it is God's mercy. God's grace is this. We haven't earned it. We're never going to earn it. God's mercy Thank God I don't get everything I deserve. 
and God's love. He loves me and us so much that he came to be with us through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and he rose on the third day. And that is transformational. That is the foundation on which we follow our call. And Paul tells us to give thanks and to give glory. As we follow our call, giving thanks and glory to God each step of the way keeps us right size as we follow God's call in our life. We are not the best of the best and we are not the worst of the worst. We are God's beloved sons and daughters. And I am giving you spiritual consent, spiritual permission that if I ever make this about me, preferably not in the middle of a Sunday service, maybe later, that you pull me aside and you say, Brooke, you said you're never going to make this about you. If I do, pull me aside. Speak spiritual truth in my life. And that's not just for me. That's for each and every one of us. This is about God. This is not about us. And the ability to give thanks and have gratitude, to understand that I can't believe I get to do this. This is God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. I got to spend three days at Camp Wesleywoods last week, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like part of my job. Maybe no one will tell you all, but it's just, it just that gratitude. We get to do what we get to do, whatever it is God has called us to. I think back about being that freshman, never saw this coming. That tug, that summons by God, he drew me. He continues to summons me each step of the way walking through the fog, providing spiritual mentors along the way, even though I've given so much reason for this not to be my story. But yet it's founded on grace and love and mercy. And I hope and pray that I give thanks and glory to Him every step of the way. But this isn't just about me. This is about each and every one of us. Where is he calling you? What's he summoning, summoning you to do? What are your even those that are keeping you from the next step? What's the next step as you walk through the fog? What's that requires you to take the next step in faith? Who are your spiritual mentors? Do you believe in the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ? And will you give thanks and glory? each step of the way. Have I been surprised by God's call? Oh yeah. And I can't wait to take the next step because God's calling and we must go. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, thank you that you call us, that you don't leave us in our comfortable spaces where we go, oh, this feels good. That you call us to follow you, where it is you're leading us. May we be willing to take that next step. May we take the next step through the fog and may we believe in your love and your grace and your mercy. We give thanks for you. We give thanks that you surprise us by your call. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.